Father, we just come to you right now. And Lord, we specifically want to lift up Dale Fain to you. Lord, his body, right now we lift it up to you. Lord, I thank you for this medical personnel. I thank you for our team, those who are able to help and provide for him. Lift up Nancy to you and the whole family, and I just pray for a special hand upon him and them. Pray for peace of heart and mind and strength there. Lord, we know that at any time we don't know what circumstances may change in our own life, physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually. And Lord, we just pray that At all times, we can truly just say we have rested in you, pursued you, surrendered all things to you. Lord, we know Dale's testimony and his faithfulness, his love for you, and we thank you. Lord, may it be a challenge to us to live so faithfully as well. But Lord, we lift him up to you right now. We pray for strength upon his body. We just pray for healing. Lord, just soften our hearts and minds, too, to continue just to worship you, to hear from you, to respond to you. Again, bless this medical team. Bless all those helping right now, and I just pray that you be somehow glorified in all things in this situation, that your will would be done. We thank you that you're a God who provides for our physical needs, relational, emotional, spiritual needs. We thank you how you're always present, always there. So we trust you in all things. We submit to you in all things. We give you all the glory in all things. We love you, Lord. We thank you, and again, just pray for continued strength in this situation. To your glory, to your praise, and to your honor. In Christ's name that I pray, amen. I know they're getting Dale here situated and everything, and uh, he's going to be, he's in good hands. And so we'll keep praying for him as they get him situated and and taken care of. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull those out and turn to James chapter 1. No, Dale, he is a uh, very strong man, strong love for Jesus, his faithful testimony and witness, and uh, he's in good hands. 
James chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, James chapter 1. We're going to continue in this series, James, a living faith. And uh, as you're turning there as they take care of Dale, let, let's just give this team and Dale just just show appreciation, a round of applause here that we're praying for them. Go, Dale, they'll take care of you, gay. James chapter 1, verse 22. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 1, verse 22. We, uh, this is another sermon in this series as we kind of get going in this summer series, summer sermon series in this book. It's kind of a, an overview, kind of an introduction, because James chapter 1 is really kind of an introduction kind of chapter, and the rest of the chapters really come back to this chapter. And so after this one, we're going to dive into chapter 2, and we'll come back to chapter 1 a lot. But last week, we introduced this book, and it's written by this guy by the name of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, meaning Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus. James was one of those. And James was also a pillar in the early church, a great leader, strong leader in the early church. And he opens up his book not talking about who he is as far as, oh, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Hey, I'm a leader and you need to listen to me because of that. No, he starts off by saying, listen, I am a servant. I am a slave, a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two titles he bookends there with Jesus, meaning the Master and Messiah, Jesus. And James is writing specifically to Jewish believers who were scattered all throughout the world at this time, but he really intends his words ultimately for all believers at all times. And it's a book full of gut punches. It's a book full of commands. And it's also a book that is packed with wisdom. And we'll see that as we get further along into the book. But H.E. Fosdick said this. He said, He who chooses the beginning of a road chooses the place that it leads to. He who chooses the beginning of a road chooses the place that it leads to. In other words, if I chose the road that led to Austin, Texas, I would inevitably arrive in Austin, Texas. I shall not arrive in San Diego, California, because that is not the road that I have chosen. He who chooses the beginning of a road chooses the place that it leads to. And when it comes to Jesus, we must choose him or the world, him or ourselves, him or dot, dot, dot. As Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You must decide. You must choose. And your choice, your decision, Jesus or not, is you choosing a road. And that place, that road leads to. This is why Jesus said this in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. In other words, many choose that road, that broad road, that wide gate, and thus they choose the place, the reality it leads to, which is destruction. But he goes on to say that, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few people find it. Only a few people choose Jesus and thus choose the place, the reality that road leads to, which is eternal life. 
So you must choose. You must decide. And our decision impacts now and the future. But we know this. I just might as well be talking about 2 plus 2 equals 4. We know this. This is like almost common sense in the Christian world. We understand that. You've heard it. I've preached it. The question is, is how do we know what road we've chosen? How do we know what road we're on right now? How do we know if we've chosen Jesus or not? Whether we too, like James, have submitted to God and Jesus as Master Messiah. How do we know whether we are blessed in Christ or cursed outside of Christ? How do we know we're not sitting here right now utterly and completely deceived? Thinking, telling ourselves we're on the right road when in reality we're not. How do we know? Well, in order to know, we must go beneath the surface, the title of today's message. We must go beneath the surface. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 22. James says this, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, at his reflection. Verse 24, for he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he is the one, that person will be blessed in their doing. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor and former SBC president, he said, picture the quarterback of a football team, the QB. And he's on the field and he's called his team up for a huddle, and the quarterback then gives the play. He communicates the play to his team, and he does it brilliantly. He hits the right tones. He pauses in just the right places. He presents the play brilliantly. But then imagine those players receiving the play and then immediately going to the sidelines, sitting down on the bench and eating snacks and drinking Gatorade. They even dissect the play a little bit. They talk about it. They converse over it. A little while later, they go back onto the field, and they gather, gather in the huddle again, and the quarterback gives the play call, and he does it brilliantly again, and right after that play call is given, they go back to the sidelines, sit down, eat snacks, and drink Gatorade. But this time, they said, man, let's start a podcast and talk about it. Man, let's, let's invite our friends to come back and hear this play call. And they go back onto the field, and they gather around, they hear the play, and they go right back to the sideline, and they do it again. His point is, that would be ridiculous. Right? Why? Because you're called not just to hear the play, but to actually run the play. We're not called just to hear the word, but to be doers of the word. 
Now, continuing along that same analogy, internally, those players would believe themselves to be active players on this team. But externally, everyone would question their status as an active member of that team. Not because of their physical appearance, their size, their jerseys, their equipment. They would question their status as an active player because of their unwillingness to actually run the play and to play the game. Their external actions, or lack thereof, reveal them to be no different than a non-member, no different than a fan in the stands. And here's what's interesting about this passage we just read in James 1. It's kind of paradox in a way. James is using the external to call out the internal. He's evaluating the external in order to address the internal, because Here's what we discover throughout the scriptures. The external reflects or reveals the internal. We're not talking physical appearance. We're not talking about physical accolades. We're talking about external behavior, external words, external actions or reactions. External patterns in these things. They reflect the internal. Thus, if you lack external obedience, you lack external actions, if you externally refuse to play the game or run the play, if you will, then James is calling out our internal misbelief or literally what the word deception means, our internal miscalculation. He's saying if you're hearers only and you're not doers of the words, if you're not bearing fruit through external behavior, words, actions, reactions, then you might internally believe you're on the right road. But you're deceived. You've miscalculated what road you're really on. You think you're going to the destination of life, but you're actually going to the destination of destruction. And we might say, well, that's really, really harsh. Who is this James to be saying this? Well, James' words are not unique. They're not even unique to the New Testament or the Old Testament, as we'll see later on in this series. But even Jesus said what James is saying. There was a moment where a group of people came to Jesus and said, listen, your mother and your brothers are looking for you. By the way, James would have been one of those brothers. He would have remembered this quote that Jesus was about to say. So here is Jesus' mother and his brothers are looking for them, but there's a large crowd that couldn't get to them. But this messenger comes to Jesus and says this, and Jesus says, listen, who's my mother and who's my brothers? I'll tell you. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's who my family is. That's who the community of believers are. That's who the church is. Those who don't just hear the word, but they are doers of the word. Again, James's words are not unique to the New Testament, nor would they be unique to the Old Testament, as again we'll see later on in this series. But it's harsh. It's hard to swallow. Like all of the, but like all of the passages like this one, James's words are bringing to light this kind of paradox in which he's using the external to call out the internal. He's evaluating the external 
in order to address the internal. So think of it like this. This past week I went to a dermatologist. My great-grandfather had skin cancer on his nose, and I inherited his nose. And when I was in high school, I was a lifeguard and for three years, and many times would not put on sunscreen. Some of you can relate to this and the effects that come with that. And so now every year I go to the dermatologist to make sure all things are okay on my face, my shoulders, my arms, things like that, right? So I go to this dermatologist, and what did the dermatologist do? The dermatologist examined my skin closely, the surface of my body closely. For what purpose? To evaluate external signs or symptoms that which might indicate that I'm sick or that something is wrong with my skin, with the surface of my body. See, here's the thing. Ultimately, the dermatologist, in a way, is only concerned with the surface. It's why at no point in time when I went into that office did they check my blood pressure. Never once did they check my heart rate. She only evaluated the surface. And that really separates the dermatologist from, let's say, the heart doctor. Now, a heart doctor, in a way, does the exact same thing as a dermatologist. But a heart doctor examines external signs or symptoms in order to determine or evaluate or judge what's internally going on. Because the heart doctor knows that the external reflects the internal. For example, if you have trouble breathing, trouble sleeping, trouble breathing while you sleep, the doctor, the heart doctor may determine that internally you have a blockage. Something's going on there that shouldn't be happening. And as another example, should the heart doctor examine lack of activity, lack of a pulse, lack of breathing, lack of movement, lack of a heartbeat, all things that you can evaluate externally, the heart doctor will determine that internally something's gone terribly wrong. Your heart has stopped. The heart doctor, like the dermatologist, is concerned about the external, the surface, but unlike the dermatologist, the heart doctor is seeking to get beneath the surface, to the heart of the matter, if you will. He evaluates the external in order to address the internal, and that is what James is doing. And that is what God does all throughout his word. So if we want to know if we're spiritually healthy or not, If we want to know if we're spiritually alive or not, if we want to know if we're on the right road or not, truly in Christ or not, we need to go to the right doctor. And there's only one who can give us a a true diagnosis, and that's God himself. Because God looks not just at the external, he looks beneath the surface, directly at the heart. He sees beneath the surface. When Samuel stood there with Jesse and they were evaluating Jesse's sons on who was to be the next king of Israel, God revealed to Samuel, quit being a dermatologist. Start being a heart doctor because that's what I am. As the Lord said, don't consider his appearance or his height. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart then why does it seem like James is looking at appearance then? Some people would argue that James is actually contradicting Paul, who says we're saved not by works but by grace. What is James even at then? What's he after? Well, again, James is not talking about physical appearance. 
He's not talking about physical denomination. Well, I'm an SBCer, or I'm Catholic, or I'm Lutheran. He's not talking about physical attendance. Well, I go to that building every time the doors are open. He's not talking about physical career. Well, this is who I am, and this is how much I make. He's not talking about my physical house. He's not talking about my physical clothes. He's talking about external behavior. External words, external silence, external actions and reactions, external patterns in these things. Because he knows such things reflect the internal. God also knows this because it's all throughout his word that the external reflects the internal. Think of it like this. I have two cups before you. We can all see these two cups, right? One cup is filled with pure, clean water. Wouldn't you agree? It's pure, it's clean, right? The other cup is filled with nasty, dark, muddy, filthy water. Now here's the thing. Both cups in their physical description are exactly the same. Same dimensions, same makeup, same everything. They're the exact same type of cup. It's what's inside of them that's different. Now the question is, is how do I know what's inside of them is different? Because what's inside of them is being reflected or revealed through the external. I'm not even looking inside the cup. I'm just seeing it through the cup. The internal, inevitably, is always revealed through the external. And this is the point James is making. The point that God is making all throughout his scripture. As Jesus said, it's what's coming out of you that's defiling you. It's not your physical, it's what's coming out of you that's defiling you. Our internal seed... What is really inside of us? Is it, spirit of, is it spirit or flesh? Is it life or death? Is it light or darkness? What is the seed that is in us? And it will be reflected through our external fruit. So is it the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the flesh? The fruit of life or the fruit of death? The fruit of light or the fruit of darkness? Is it the fruit of obedience or the fruit of disobedience? Jesus said it a little differently. Right after he talked about those two roads that we choose, and thus we choose the destination of those roads, he said this, watch out for false prophets, false teachers, false preachers. Really watch out for false believers. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They have a physical appearance about them. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So look beneath the surface. Look at the internal. Look beneath the physical appearance. But here's the paradox. Jesus goes on. By their fruit, their external actions, their external words, their external reactions, their external behavior, by their external symptoms or lack thereof, you will recognize them. 
Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? No. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. How do I know which road you've chosen? By your fruit. You can get to the internal. You can get beneath the surface by examining the external because the external always inevitably reflects the internal. And what James is saying is externally, regardless of what you appear like, regardless of your physical appearance or your physical position, are you doers of the word? Do you live love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Is there evidence in your life that you possess these things and are growing in these things? If not... Despite what you physically appear like, you might appear like a sheep. You might even know the scriptures, but you're deceived. You have internally miscalculated what road you're actually on. You perhaps don't have the seed of the Spirit in you. Meaning you think you're on the road that leads to life. It seems right, but actually you're on the road that leads to destruction because your external obedience or disobedience reflects where your heart is and whether or not you truly love Jesus. After all, Jesus said, listen, if you love me, you will obey me. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll quote me. If you love me, you'll obey me. He didn't say, if you love me, then you'll be a Southern Baptist. He said, you'll obey me. Obedience reflects authentic love for Jesus. Because those who love him are devoted to him. They abide in him. They are the branches. He is the vine. And therefore, he, through them, through his spirit, bears the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of obedience. The internal is always reflected through the external. A couple of years ago, we were at our last house in Cushing, and I was vacuuming in our closet in our master bedroom. And I was doing kind of a deep clean. We were taking everything out of the closet and vacuuming and everything. And so there I am vacuuming the closet, and the vacuum cleaner hit the wall. And as soon as it hit the wall, a massive hole just like formed in the wall as the wall like crumbled as though it were dust. And that's in essence what it was. Just crumbled. The physical appearance of that wall looked to be in good shape. But when testing came, when opposition and trials came, 
it crumbled like dust. The Old Testament would call it like chaff in the wind. It failed to persevere, as James would say in this passage. Because internally, it was consumed with termites. Internally, it was sick. Internally, it was dead. So it had the same appearance as a sheep. But internally, it was this. That's what James is saying. The external reflects the internal. So how do I know? How do I know where I am internally? How do I know if I'm a lover of Jesus? How do I know if I'm just a hearer only? How do I know this? I look at my fruit. Do I possess, am I growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Because my external fruit will tell me what's going on beneath the surface. And we say, Jonathan, I know this. I've heard it. This is old. I know the fruits of the Spirit. We've all sang the song since we were like three. I know this. Well, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Who cares what you know? If you don't obey, you will internally tell yourself you belong to Jesus, but you're actually on the road that leads to destruction. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If externally you lack a pulse in these things, a heartbeat, then the diagnosis, you're internally dead, despite your calculations. So this day, we must choose Jesus. We must love him, we must obey him, we must choose his narrow road, for it leads to eternal life. We must leave the road that leads to destruction before it's too late. I'll finish with this. C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, uses this imagery to paint the picture of the reality to come when the Lord appears. He said, listen, God is going to invade. But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world right now, quite realize what it will be like when he actually does. He said, because when that happens, it's the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. He said, God is going to invade all right, but what good, or what is the good of saying you are on his side then? When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in, something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. He said, see, this time, unlike the first appearing, it will be God without disguise. Fully and open, he will invade. It will be something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side or to choose your road. There is no use saying that you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen. 
Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side or the right road. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. And as Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 7, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. No matter what their physical appearance was, no matter what their accolades were, no matter what they knew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who's in heaven. And many will say, well, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? And then he said, then I will confess it to them. I never knew you. See, what does it mean to do the will of the Father? It means to know Jesus, to love him, to abide in him, to obey him. I never knew you. So depart from me, you evildoer. Evil doer. Blessed are those who do the will of the Father. Blessed are those who are not hearers only, but doers of the word. Because they're the ones who look like this internally. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. We have this time of response Some of us, God is calling us onto the operating table. And before Him and under Him, He's revealing to us our fruit. For some of us, if we are brutally and openly honest with ourselves and with the Lord, we say, Man, on the outside, I look like a sheep, but inside, I'm a ferocious wolf. Internally, I've always calculated that I'm on the right road that leads to life, but internally I'm now seeing I'm actually on the road that leads to destruction. Lord, save me from that road. For others of us, we we see the fruit of the Spirit and we say, Lord, help me to grow stronger in each area, in my actions, in my reactions, in my words, in my behavior. So it's just repenting of something, turning from something, and submitting all things to him. But if you have a decision to make, even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you. We love you. May we submit all things to you, and may we not be hearers only, but doers of the word. So showing ourselves to be a member of the body of Christ. In Christ's name I pray. You stand with us. You come if you need to.